It's time to release the Rockin' 25 college basketball poll on the Rockin' Pregame. Well, we always depend on our rocketologists to help us understand the latest Rockin' 25 college basketball poll. Analytics consultant from Haslametrics.com, Eric Haslam, also owner and editor and founder of the ACC Basketball Report and podcast, Michael Hunter. They join us to break down the, tw- uh, the top 25 this week. Plenty of games so far this year where teams that should have won have lost, especially to the mid-majors. So is it parity? Is it the transfer portal? Or, or, or what is it? You know, I think it's the fact that the Power 6 schools seem to recycle their rosters every year. There's no continuity within the actual roster themselves. These guys have to learn to play with, you know, mostly a new group every single season. You look at a team like Dartmouth defeating Georgetown, the, the Big Green are 25th in the nation in experience. The Hoyers are 332nd. You know, it doesn't help that Georgetown is not very good, but Dartmouth has also had guys that have played with them, played within that system, played for that program, and they're all, you know, upperclassmen for the most part. We've seen a lot of graduate transfers kind of head up in competition, but we're also seeing guys that didn't quite make it in the Power Six transferring down. They've landed outside the Power Six. They've landed in programs where... You know, they have more star potential. Guys like Alex Barcelo, formerly of Arizona, is now at BYU for the last couple of years. BYU just smashed Oregon. Half of the South Alabama roster that just hung with Alabama the other day is from the Power Six. J.P. Mormon, formerly of Temple, and Flynn Cameron, formerly of DePaul, both at UC Riverside. And those guys were two of the biggest reasons that the Highlanders went to Tempe on the road and beat Arizona State. You're seeing some kids... You know, kind of realizing their potential at, at good fits, as well as experienced players taking advantage of rosters that are relying on youth and as a unit may not be cohesive yet in the Power Six teams. Thing is, I think it is the transfer portal, and I got some analytics to throw at you here. In the season ending in 2019, if you're looking at the first 10 days of the season and you're taking D1 teams versus D1 teams where one of them is a mid-major and one of them is a Power Six conference team, here is the success rate, or I should say the win rate, of those mid-major teams in the first 10 days. 9.7% in 2019, 7.2% in 2020. Then you go to 21, it jumps to 13.5. This year it's 12.6. So if you look at that two-year period of 19 and 20, it's about 8.5%. If you look this season and last season, it's roughly 13%. And I think what Michael says is exactly true. Because of the transfer portal and how the NCAA is handing out those waivers, like their seedless watermelon in July, just like John Rothstein says, all of these Ugh. players who are trying to go from one spot to the other are having a, an open exit for them to leave one team instead of being buried on the bench. They can contribute somewhere else, and I think they're fostering in this environment, and that's why you're seeing these higher percentages of mid-major teams getting those victories. As the trend continues, do you think that percentage goes down as more super teams in the Power Six show up? What I would find interesting is how is the NCAA going to respond now with you know now that the, the pandemic ends? Are they going to start cracking down a little bit more on transferring? Or is this going to be you know, opening things up like they have for the last two years? I tend to think the NCAA is going to crack down a little bit more. So I wouldn't see, I would not be surprised to see this percentage with, that is right around 13 right now, maybe come back to about 10 as players find themselves a little bit, it's a little bit tougher for them to move from one place to the other. I think you have to justify it. I don't think you can just open it up. But, you know, I don't know. The NCAA has surprised me before. They may surprise me again. Almost 1,800 names entered the portal this past offseason, which is incredibly too many. They, they need to do something. Way but, too high. Uh, way too high. I yeah. agree. So let's release the Rockin' 25. Gonzaga's got 13 first-place votes for number one. UCLA has the other first-place vote for second. Kansas, Purdue, Villanova round out the top five. 
Give us a reason why one of these top five teams won't win it all this year. I'm going to go with Villanova. Villanova is, I think that Villanova is one injury away from disaster. You saw them a little bit last year. You have Colin Gillespie, who's that team leader. I love what Justin Moore is doing for this team. He's 19 points per game, red hot from three-point range. Struggled last year, shot 31% behind the arc. This year, he's over 50%. Jermaine Samuels is a key contributor. Brandon Slater has has really stepped up. Uh, there's a lot to like here on this Villanova team. But the problem is, you know, you lose Jeremiah Robinson Earl to the NBA. He was a huge contributor. You expected to have Demir uh, Cosby Roundtree there before the season. He hung up his career due to injuries. So my biggest concern with Villanova, as was the case last year, is depth. And I will say they're one injury away from disaster. You saw what happened last year with Villanova where Gillespie hurt his MCL right before the tournament. And then they kind of became an afterthought. They ended up dropping to a five-seed. They did make the Sweet 16, but they did have a favorable draw. They beat a 12 seed and a 13 seed to get there before they were escorted out by Baylor. So the one that just never does it for me is Villanova, and I think depth is a major issue for them. That's that's exactly the answer that I have as well. I think uh, that Eric nails it. You know, you look at, you know, they played three games so far, and you can only take one of them really seriously where they're playing top-level competition like what they're going to face in the Big East. In the UCLA game, Jay Wright basically played six guys. You know, Archie Diakono played seven minutes in that game, but if they lose, especially in the front court, um, I think they've got a little bit of play in the back court. Obviously, if Gillespie gets hurt again, that's a big deal. But if, if Samuels goes down or Dixon goes down, they're in real big trouble, I think. You know, I, I think that everybody in our top five right now is absolutely capable of winning the national championship, but I think out of those five, the least likely is Villanova for the depth reasons. Four guys on this roster right now averaging over 16 points a game. That seems awful top-heavy for me. 6-10 through 10 of the Rockin' 25 has Duke at 6. Baylor jumps two notches to 7. Memphis rises to 8. Michigan and Texas fall from the top 5 to 9 and 10. Michael, what has the early games shown you that has surprised you? You know, I was actually really taken back by, by what Eric said uh, through for his metrics there. For me, it has been the upsets. Um, we've seen early season upsets every year, but it seems like there's been a lot more this season, and some haven't really been close. You look at Oregon getting boat raced by BYU. It is, it's not surprising that BYU won, really, but in the fashion that they won is very surprising to me, given you know Oregon's history under Dana Altman and their talent level this year. You know, on Friday, New Mexico State lost to Utah State. It isn't really an upset, but the manner in which Chris Jan's team lost that game almost made me feel bad for it. Virginia losing to Navy is a kind of a what's going on here moment. Uh, not really for me. I didn't really expect a whole lot from Virginia. But regardless of what you expect from Virginia this year, you certainly expect them to beat a team like Navy. Oklahoma State scoring 55 at home and losing to Oakland is another one that kind of sticks out. Everybody kind of kind of thinks pretty highly of Mike Boynton and this Oklahoma State team, but them dropping that game is kind of is kind of questionable, I guess. So I guess it's not really that upsets are occurring; it's how bad some of these power programs have looked, especially at home. And, and we're just getting into you know the preseason tournaments now. Next week is Feast Week, where everyone has to actually play on neutral courts. It could get even more wild next week. All right, so it's time for the middle five, the Rockin' Twenty Five College Basketball Poll on the Rockin' pregame today with our Rocketologist Eric Haslam and Michael Hunter. Alabama rolls up to 11. Houston, after a convincing win over uh, over Virginia, moves up to 12. Kentucky, Arkansas, repping the SEC at 13 and 14. And BYU is number 15 this week. 
Eric, you were impressed on BYU's showing this week, right? Yeah, I'm not easily surprised. And, you know, that question that you just gave Michael about what games have, have surprised you, I think that, that the one that jumps out at me is that BYU-Oregon game, which was I did not expect at all. I thought BYU was a pretty good team. I've never been all in on BYU in the past because they've had some pretty good, pro, uh, pretty good program, some good performances, but they seem to flame out. Um, in, in the tournament, and one of the things about this game that was played on Tuesday, first of all, they win this game 81-49. In a game, they go analytically final. The game is mathematically over with six minutes to play. And not to throw out a lot of hyperbole, but watching that offense was like almost watching Gonzaga last year. Now, that's high praise. I mean, such crisp ball movement. It was it was it was pretty cool to see. I was I was impressed. It was the, it was my favorite watch of the season so far this year. Um, this is a team that uh, they won by 32 over Oregon. As I said, they also beat San Diego State, and this team has an offensive reputation. But the thing about them, that people are talking now, like BYU all of a sudden has this defense. Their defense has been kind of sneaky good the last couple of years. I had them rated 37th in defensive efficiency in 2020, 35th last year. So credit to Mark Pope for what he's getting out of that program. Our Alex Barcelo, fantastic player. If they lose him, all bets are off. I mean, granted, he, he averages 22 points a game. He is the team leader. Uh, but, man, really, really impressive showing from them. I cannot wait to see more. Um, I think you're probably going to have to wait until November 27th when they play at Utah. There aren't many great games before then. But, yeah, great start for them. I did not expect them to, to beat San Diego State, nor did I uh, expect them to throttle Oregon the way they did. Are you disparaging Central Methodist? <laughs> uh, Southern Methodist or Central Methodist? Uh, Non-D1 school that they're going to play today. Oh, I am, I, am, I am throwing that out the way. Yes, I am. I, I don't count teams that don't play in the D1. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I hope they I, lose and, and the whole universe burns down. I am disparaging them, yes. <laughs> well, 16 to 20 of the Rockin' 25 college basketball poll has North Carolina, Seton Hall, Ohio State, Tennessee, and Illinois. The Big East is dominated early in the Gavit tip-off games with four straight wins. Are we sleeping on the Big East, or can you trust Marquette? No, I, I still wouldn't trust Marquette. Uh, you know, I'm happy for Daryl Marcel. Uh, transfer or graduate transfer from Maryland, who is playing outside of his mind right now. Uh, Providence over at Herrick's Badgers. I, I, you know, are we all that shocked? I, I would be confident saying that Eric probably isn't that shocked. Um, I'm not Seton that Hall shocked. Over, yeah, <laughs> not that shocked. Seton Hall over Michigan was kind of a wow moment. But but touching on what I touched on earlier, Michigan 261st in the nation in experience. Seton Hall 37th. So. You know, I would expect Marquette Providence to kind of tail off as the season goes on. I think the Big East is going to be kind of a grind. I think you have Villanova, who is a national championship contender. But then, you know, from UConn to Creighton, I think they're going to be mediocre. Um, I think they're all, you know, the teams that will get in are probably going to be first weekend or one-and-done teams. And they're all going to kind of beat up on each other. I think they're all in the same kind of tier. UConn might be a little bit better on a second tier behind Villanova by themselves. But I think the middle at Big East is really going to beat up on, on themselves. Um, one team I am kind of interested in is Butler. Um, we're going to find out if they're any good over the next few weeks. And they play kind of a gauntlet of Houston, Oklahoma, and Purdue. That's a pretty tough road. But, um, you know, they, they scheduled very aggressively this year. Uh, again, I think Nova's the title contender. Everyone else is just a one-and-done team. Final. They look pretty bad against Michigan State. Butler did, so I don't know if they're going to recover from that one. 
Um, you know, I think a little. I think a little of both. You know, looking at the Gavit games, I think it's a little of the Big East being up from last year. I think the Big Ten is down from last year. If you look at the Big Ten, Wisconsin, is, as Michael mentioned, is definitely down. Rutgers is down. Uh, Maryland, a little bit down. Michigan State has not been right. Penn State, Minnesota, down. Illinois, even, without the Sumer down. Um, with, with the Big East, I think Marquette has shown, although we can't trust Marquette long-term, um, Marquette has shown something early on in the season. I think Xavier's up. St. John's and, and Seton Hall, two teams that were kind of on the bubble last year, a little bit more seasoning this year. They look improved from last year. So I think it's a little bit of both. And in order to get to where the Big Ten was, remember like last year in, in the analytics, I think like seven or eight Big Ten teams showed up in that top 25. I think you got to get to the point where the Big East has probably about five or possibly five teams in there, and then they're going to get the respect they deserve. And they can do that. You know that Nova is going to be there. You know UConn's going to be there. Then you just need one of those other teams, Xavier, St. John, Seton Hall, Province, or Marquette to step up. I could see it happening. And at that point, I don't think the Big East is exactly underrated or overrated. They're adequately rated. They're probably solidly that number three conference. I think we always talk about the Big Ten and the Big 12 being there. I think the Big East is always kind of in that three or four range, and I think that's where they are this year as well. Final five is St. Bonaventure, Oregon, Texas Tech at 23, UConn and Florida wrapping up the Rockin' 25 for this week. There's a plateau for the top six teams, another one for 7 through 20, then 21 through 33. Michael, why are the voters so polarized with these early results? You know, I think it's the same reason that we're polarized by politics or re religion. You know, we all watch different games. We all key on different things. We have favorite teams. You know, we have favorite teams, conferences, regions, styles, players, coaches that we all have a certain affinity for. You know, it'll be the exact opposite for a West Coast guy like Rocco Miller. Sean Paul is in the is in the Midwest. He has a love for the mid-majors, so he's going to key on those guys. You know, for the most part, I think we tend to agree about the top of the poll and who's in the second tier. But those last six spots... Some people had USC in their poll. Some had, someone had Drake. Um, I haven't seen Drake play, but I know they haven't played anybody worth mentioning so far this season. Wasn't me. Wasn't me. Wasn't me. We know who it is. Shout out to Sean. Yeah, but, right. thanks. <laughs> but, uh, you know, they're not even on my radar. Syracuse didn't even receive a vote this week. Do I think that Drake could hang with the Orange on a neutral floor? Absolutely not. But we'll never find out because apparently Jim Beheim's on parole and can't leave the state of New York during the preseason. All right, we're breaking down the Rockin' 25 college basketball poll with our rocketologist Eric Hasselman, Michael Hunter. Other teams receiving votes this week, Arizona, Auburn, Colorado State, Drake, Florida State, Indiana, Iowa, Loyola, Chicago, Maryland, Michigan State, Mississippi State, USC, Virginia Tech, West Virginia, Xavier, and uh, there may have been uh, 75 to 100 others that we missed. But anyway, Eric, at this point in the season with such a small sample size of games, what is your sense of the analytics right now? Well, here's the thing about the analytics. It's, it's still kind of, we're, you're still kind of in the guesstimate phase because you're using that baseline preseason rating, which is based on a lot of different factors, and there's a lot of subject, subjectivity involved with it. The problem with um, the analytics this early on in the season is it takes such a long time for you to actually pull in enough games and enough performance comparisons that you can really start using this season's data. And it, it's a, really a slow going for the first few weeks. It probably takes you a good three to four weeks before the, the actual game results are impacting the analytics. And we're probably just not there yet. We're probably looking maybe a, after Thanksgiving, maybe the week after Thanksgiving, 
And it takes a while for all those, that preseason rating system to burn off. That usually goes up until maybe the week before Christmas. So you're seeing some early moves from some teams because of some of these these performances like Boston College and Clemson and DePaul and Vanderbilt have moved up. And there's other teams who are power conference teams like Oregon State who's gone way down Missouri and Wake Forest. Um, But it's, it's largely dependent on the games they have in hand. And... Oftentimes, you see some teams get really hot out of the gates, and then all of a sudden, they fall back down to earth. Well, at this point, all we have are those hot games, those first few games, and it's it can be a little bit misleading. So at this point, I wouldn't say, you know, go all in on my analytics. It's still learning right now. The system is still trying to learn who each team is, and it's going to use those baseline uh, preseason ratings for a little bit while longer. I think once you get right around the middle of December, you really start to get a better grasp of who, who each team is based on the analytics. And I would say at that point, you're safe to go go buy the analytics as a good source of how good each team is. Well, where can people find your work? You can find me writing for uh, noopsports.com. That's K-N-U-P sports.com, as well as basketballarticles.com. Um, Noop Sports is... A, a program that I'm affiliated with where I kind of pick my own topics. It's been a real good time. And you can find my previews for wagering at SpookyExpress.com mostly. You can find me on Twitter at, at ACCBR1 as well. And as always, everybody can find me, my ratings, my rankings, my bracketology, my projections over at Haslametrics.com. Otherwise, you can find me on Twitter going hashtag analytically final at, at Haslametrics. College basketball underway. Our thanks to the Rockin' 25 voters, Eric Haslam and Michael Hunter, for breaking down the analytics and the teams. The Rockin' 25 college basketball poll, always available at 101thebeard.com. Thanks a lot, guys. Thank you. Thanks. All right, there you go, our rocketologists, man. Those guys, uh, boy, they, they break it down, especially once conference play starts. Man, it is a must-listen here on the Rockin', uh, Rockin' pregame to, to keep up with uh, all the teams from around the country and hear their breakdowns, and it can really help you come uh, fill out the bracket time, that's for sure.